Hello everyone, this is Pastor Joyce Erickson of BelieversBibleSchool.com, where the study of the Bible is paramount to help believers in Christ grow in their faith. We're going to be doing a study now on the book of 1 Thessalonians, and I'm choosing to do this book early on in our study because this is the church where the Apostle Paul addressed his first letter or as he calls it, epistle, to this church, the very first letter on his missionary journeys. But before we go into chapter one, let's do a little background study on the author and the times and some of the challenges that the Apostle Paul faced along his journey dealing with the Thessalonian church. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing this letter, He's supported by Silas and Timothy, and they sat down in Corinth, which was cut away from Thessalonica, and they wrote this letter to the Thessalonian believers on his second missionary journey. And this was about a few months or so after doing his missionary work in this large city of Thessalonica. And he wrote this letter as an encouragement to their faith, but he was also addressing questions that the Thessalonian believers had regarding the Lord's return and the rapture of the church. Now, these were new believers, and they were concerned, what happens to a believer after they die? What about those in these persecuted times who have been martyred for their faith? Where do they go? Aren't we asking the same questions today? Believers are still wondering, where do we go upon death? What about those who are martyred for their faith? Because Christians are martyred for their faith all over the world, even today. And so this question is paramount in the lives of believers then, and I think even more so now. And we'll be addressing these issues as we study this book. There's one thing that we do need to know, something that the Apostle Paul faced everywhere he went. And he encountered challenges with the Jewish believers in Jesus as their Messiah because they were demanding that all Gentile believers become a Jew in order to be saved. And this came out of the backdrop that in the past, Jews who would go around proselyting, or that which means converting, Gentiles who were willing to lead their pagan gods to believe in the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it meant that they had to become Jewish in every respect, including circumcision, and if they wanted to be a Jew and to gather and glean all of the benefits of a Jew, they had to become a Jew in every respect. So when the Apostle Paul was presenting Christianity both to both Jews and Gentiles, the Jews kept to this same belief that any Gentile who would come to believe in Jesus as Savior had to become a Jew in order to be saved. The Gentiles who, accept, who accepted Jesus as their Messiah, they were willing to leave their pagan gods, and rightfully so to worship the one true God. Most of them, however, they did not want to become Jewish in any way, especially becoming circumcised. 
This angered Jewish believers, especially those who had come to accept Jesus as their Messiah. And they insisted these Gentile believers had to become Jew in order to be saved. This created such a problem in almost every city that the Apostle Paul traveled to. And so by the end of his first missionary journey, remember he's on his second missionary journey now, so we're backtracking in time, to we're at the end of his first missionary journey, which was in 48 AD. He and Barnabas, who was the head of the Antioch church and was also with him on his first missionary journey, they traveled um, uh, down to Jerusalem to meet with some of the other apostles, such as Peter and John and, and some of the leaders in the church, such as James, who was the head, the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And James, by the way, was the brother of Jesus, physical brother of Jesus. But they had to decide, what are we going to do about this dilemma? As such, we have the Jerusalem Council. You can go in your Bible and look at Acts 15. But after much debate and prayer, they came to an agreement. And it, this agreement was binding, official. In other words, it was like a command that came from the Lord. And it was that it was not necessary for Gentile believers in Christ to become a Jew in any respect. And that included being circumcised. And so the following rules, however, must be adhered by all Gentile believers. They must abstain from things polluted by, by idols. They must abstain from sexual immorality, which was very common among the Gentiles in those days. And they must abstain from things strangled and from blood. In turn, all Jewish believers in Christ must respect the above ruling for Gentile Christians. The Gentile Christians, now they were happy with this decision of the Jewish council, but Jewish believers were not. Now, the Orthodox believers, in other words, the ones that did not become believers in Jesus, that they remain uh, fully Jewish, they came against. Now, the Jews had, who had become a believer in Jesus, as well as the Gentiles who had come to Christ. So this caused division, not only within the synagogue, caused division within the church. And they continued in their anger as the Apostle Paul continued in his second and his third missionary journey. So when we look at the city of Thessalonica, they were no different. So the city of Thessalonica, um, it was a seaport, a trade center, and around 200,000 people. And it was strategically placed on the eastern coast of the province of Macedonia. And because it was a coastal trade center, many pagan religions encompassed that city. And you would find in the marketplace popular philosophers, magicians, astrologers, rogue swindlers clamoring for the attention of those that they could convince to follow them. 
And so this would bring on various missionaries of pagan religions who were opportunists and they took advantage of vulnerable people, anyone who would listen to gain wealth for themselves. And this made it harder for missionaries for Christ because there was great competition in this large city, especially because it was a trade center. Emperor worship was also commanded in Thessalonica, the worship of um, Augustus and Julius Caesar. And so what you had is all of this paganism that was not only accepted by the Roman government, but encouraged. And as with any pagan city, prostitution, adultery, homosexuality, and related sins, they were all commonplace. Now, I had the privilege about 10 years ago to visit uh, Thessalonica, and I was on a uh, Mediterranean trip where we followed the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John, and I was able to see the relics of the marketplace. And so Thessalonica, today is pronounced Thessaloniki, was the largest city in Macedonia at the time of the Apostle Paul's visit in 49 AD. <clears throat> Excuse me, having a population, as I said earlier, of about 200,000 people today. Thessaloniki is the second largest city in Greece, and it had over um, 1 million people in its metropolis region. Now, during, uh, during biblical times, it was a beautiful city with a spectacular view of Mount Olympus, which was so-called were the greater gods of the mythological Greek pantheon religions hung out. So we finished our missionary journey flying out of Thessalonica and going over to Rome and, of course, was able to see the Vatican and some of the other things as we finished our missionary journey. But in 49 AD, <coughs> excuse me, the Apostle Paul and Silas, along with Timothy, came to Thessalonica from Philippi as part of the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. And in Philippi, Paul and Silas had been publicly beaten, put in prison for the gospel, and then they were thrown out of town. So Paul and Silas, along with Timothy, then traveled down to Thessalonica to continue on with what we know as Paul's second missionary journey. A little bit about Timothy. Timothy was a young Gentile believer and the Apostle Paul had met him in Lystra just a few months earlier. And, um, and when the Apostle Paul was beginning his second missionary journey in Asia Minor. But Paul saw the gift of faith in Timothy along with the giftings that he displayed and requested that this young believer come alongside of him as they traveled so he could mentor to him. And he became like an apprentice, but he was a disciple. But it was, um, it, he became the Apostle Paul's protege. 
he received on, on the job training, so to speak. And it was the best way that the Apostle Paul could mentor to this young Gentile believe, believer in the most effective way. Now, at times, Timothy's name does not always appear as being with the apostle or his team. But when, uh, when we walk through the book of Acts, we can see that Timothy was always at least in the shadows somewhere around him. But at this time, the apostle Paul, he was around 48 years of age and Timothy was around 33 years. As was Paul's custom, whenever he entered into a city, he first went to the local synagogue on the Sabbath. All Jewish Sabbaths ran from Friday at sundown until Saturday at sundown. Synagogues, they were the center of Jewish worship as well as their social life. Even the Jewish boys from the ages of 5 to 14 attended school at the synagogue to learn um, to learn the Torah, which really was the only education that a Jewish boy had outside of learning the trade of his father. But every city where there was more than 10 uh, Jewish families, you would find a synagogue. When, they, when there was less people, what they did is they met down at the river until they could meet the Jewish requirements to build a synagogue. And once they reached 10 families and they were able to fund, in other words, gather enough equipment to build the city or build the synagogue, then they, um, they would do so. And so what you found out is the larger the city, the larger the synagogue. That since Thessalonica was a larger synagogue or larger city, they had a larger synagogue. We know of that the Apostle Paul was referred to as Saul the Pharisee. And whenever he went to a synagogue, that's how he referred himself. And he would come as a Jewish Pharisee and, and, and use the name of Saul. And he was always welcome wherever he went to visit a new synagogue and he would preach to them. But he did not preach himself, and he did not talk about Jewish ways, but he preached Christ crucified, but he would use the Jewish scriptures, the Torah, which we know is our Old Testament, as the grounds for his platform. And he would foretell of the coming Messiah and how he must suffer. And again, using the Jewish scriptures, he would tell the assembly that after his death, the Messiah would rise again. He then set out to prove that Jesus of Nazareth was their Messiah. Again, based on the Jewish scriptures. So week after week, he would preach to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. And usually, I said usually, Many Jews within the congregation came to believe in Jesus. Thessalonians, or the um, in the um, synagogue of Thessalonica, however, was a little different. On non-Sabbath days, in other words, six days the rest of the week, the apostle 
then went out into the marketplace of the city among the traders and the shoppers, and there he would be um, in competition with other philosophers, magicians, and pagan missionaries as he went to witness for Christ. But here he went out as a non-Jew, entirely different than when he went to uh, the synagogue. He went out as a non-Jew to witness the gospel to the Gentiles in an entirely different way than what he did in the synagogue. And here he used the name of Paul, which is or was the Greek name for Saul, so that he would not be identified with the Jews. Yet it was Paul, we need to understand, Paul was the one who chose to change his name from Saul to Paul, and he went back and forth. This was not something like most people think that God changed um, Saul's name to Paul. Paul changed it to fit his situation. But Paul could not use the Jewish scriptures to the Gentiles as his basis because they knew nothing about nor cared about the Jewish scriptures. Instead, Paul preached on their sinfulness and that they too needed forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And if they were to experience eternal life with God in heaven, then they must have forgiveness of sins. And as he spoke out, he told the people that God was now coming to the whole world, not just the Jews, through his son. And only through his son, Jesus Christ, could they come to their creator, the one true God. And as such, many Gentiles left their pagan idols and they committed their life to Jesus Christ. In this way, the Apostle Paul was able to gather new believers, both Jew and Gentile together, to form a, a church in that city. And as always, all first century churches were in the homes of the people and they met almost every day of the week and they went from house to house except the Jewish believers attended their synagogue on the Sabbath and they went back and forth with their synagogue because that was part of their social life as well but um, the Gentiles they would meet almost every single day because they all needed each other Now, the Apostle Paul, he was not like the pagan missionaries who had tried to get wealthy off of vulnerable people. The Apostle Paul was self-supporting, and he came with the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ to any who would hear. And in spite of the competition, the Apostle Paul was able to bring many Gentiles to faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, he refused to accept any money from people. It was always his intention for him and his team to work for their own expenses as they evangelized from city to city. And his usual mode of operation was to work his profession as a tent maker on his off hours from the ministry. And he would do that during the day. And then as evening approached, either picked up or delivered his product to his customers and then continued working late into the night. 
but he always made sure that he paid for his own expenses so he and his team were never dependent upon anyone for support. So, as such, the apostle was never a burden to those that he preached the gospel to. So in past cities of his missionary journeys, the Apostle Paul was received well in the beginning, and many people would come to be believers in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And over time, after several months, what usually happened is there were those left in the synagogue. Remember, he preached there every single week, Jesus as the Messiah. There were those who refused his message, and eventually he was always asked to leave. Now, there were cities where he was forced out. There were cities where he had to escape to avoid persecution or even his life. There were cities where he was scourged or even imprisoned for the gospel. In Thessalonica, remember I said Thessalonica was a little different. Um, this was a large um, synagogue full of staunch religious Jews who were not very receptive to him, even from the beginning. So as such, the Apostle Paul only had three weeks of preaching in that synagogue before these unbelieving Jews became very angry, setting out to attack him. In their outburst of anger, to bring him to the city magistrate who was housed in the marketplace, to have him arrested. What they did is they gathered criminals from the marketplace, good, a good place to find them, to help them storm the house of Jason, which, which was where uh, the Apostle Paul was staying. But Paul and Silas and Timothy were not there at the time. Instead, they grabbed Jason, the owner of the home, brought him to the authorities instead. But someone paid for Jason's bail, and the authorities simply let him go. But immediately, the new believers, what they did is they sought out Paul and Silas and Timothy, secretly escorted them out of the city that night. So off to Berea, they fled, which was a quiet, out-of-the-way town, 50 miles inland, where they walked all night into the next day. And there in Berea, the Jews of that synagogue were far more accepting of him, where Paul preached Jesus as their Messiah. And the Berean Jews, they even searched the scriptures to make sure that Paul was telling them the truth, which we find in Acts 17.11. But it didn't take long, however, for the Thessalonian unbelieving Jews from the synagogue to get word that Paul and his team were in Berea. So this brought several unbelieving Jews to travel down to Berea to stir up the people in that town as well. As such, the new believers in Berea quietly sneaked Paul out of town with an escort team. But Paul left Silas and Timothy there to continue on with the ministry. And Paul and his, uh, and his escorts that were with him, then they traveled down to Athens in Greece. After arriving in Athens, Paul sent the escorts back to Berea, requesting that they send Silas and Timothy down to Athens to rejoin, uh, to rejoin him. 
And so Paul ministered in Athens while he waited for Silas and Timothy. And sometime later, the three met up together in Athens. And before Paul and Silas, uh, before they could take off to Corinth, they sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on the condition of the church in that city. Paul and Silas, along with some new disciples they had gathered from Athens, then continued on another 60 miles across a land bridge to Corinth to minister and develop churches in that city. So how long Timothy was in Thessalonica, remember he went back to minister to the people, and he was less threatening than the Apostle Paul. But after assisting these believers there, he then traveled back to rejoin Paul and Silas, and this time in Corinth, he met up with him. Now, the church in Corinth was growing even among the persecution, but they had questions that needed to be addressed by the Apostle Paul. Remember, he only had three weeks of teaching there. Thus, the Apostle prepared to write them a letter to answer these questions. So it's now been... A few months since the Apostle Paul left Thessalonica, and he's writing his first letter to the believers in that city to answer their concerns. And the Apostle, uh, with the assistance of Silas and Timothy, they sat down together to write this first letter that he had written to the churches that he had established. Remember, this is his very first epistle that he's writing. And so as such, this first letter to the church of Thessalonica was penned in 50 A.D. by the Apostle Paul, assisted by Silas and Timothy from the city of Corinth. So the Apostle addressed these questions that really became the essence of what this letter to the Thessalonians is all about. And we have five chapters to go over where are the believers after they died? Where are those who were martyred for their faith? Where are they now? As, sub, as, as such, the subject of the rapture of the church permeates the letter of 1 Thessalonians, and we can consider it to be the central theme of the whole book. So with that, we're going to end our background, and um, we are going to go into uh, the first chapter of Thessalonians. So feel free to click on uh, that letter, and then we'll begin with our next study. Okay? God bless you. Have a great day.